Detroit is Different is where you get information, artistry, history, music, and even comedy. Detroit is Different, a home for the culture of Detroit. Visit online at DetroitIsDifferent.com today. Detroit is Different, back in full effect, another podcast. And this time I'm show swapping. It's been a long time coming. I'm talking about somebody that puts in the work, telling so many of the stories and content in and around Detroit uh, from so many different perspectives, community, business, uh, gardening, just a lot of different things. We're talking daily Detroit. Jeremiah, how are you today? I am excellent. It is an honor to be in this studio, sir. Oh, man. Oh, it's, it's been a long time coming. Last year, I was on yours. We were mm-hmm. talking a little bit about the fundraiser for a lot of studio. Mm-hmm. This time, the show swap, we, we had an event at the policy conference together. Um, and somebody that connects to Daily Detroit also just came on through Devin. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, you know, it's been time to get you in the mix. So here we are. It's a neighborhood-to-neighborhood swap. Yes, yes. Yeah, it's really not very far. So Daily Detroit Studios, like, when I say this, I mean, they're, like, you know, a a good bike ride, a a pretty long walk, but a a drive is like that. Like, Mm -hmm. almost, like, so close that you would be surprised that all this podcasting is going on around these parts of uh, Detroit's, uh, I I don't know, I'm going to say Detroit's west side, even though technically... You See, I, I am on the east side. And yes, here is the thing. Technically. Yeah, the east side. Look, I, even though it's like a couple <laughs> of blocks, I had to stay on the east side. I had to stay true to my roots. Mm-hmm. So let's get into those roots, man. Uh, we usually always start with Detroit story. What brought your your uh, your family here? Um, what settled everybody in Detroit? Oh, gee. So there's two sides of the family, of course, mom mm-hmm. and dad. Yep. So mom's family were coal miners in Pennsylvania. Wow. Back in the 1800s. Okay, wait, 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 wait. What parts of Pennsylvania? Um, I want to say like like Appalachia, mm. Appalachia, that okay. area. Uh, Sykesville, actually, now mm. that I remember. Okay. Uh, and they came here, of course, for industrial work, right? Mm-hmm. And this is like everyone came migrating to Detroit because there were so many jobs. Mm-hmm. And what happened with my family was is they're big Catholic family, right? Mm. Like every one of my relatives, except for my generation, has like 50,000 children. Like my mm. mom has 11 sisters and brothers. Wow. Right? So they were, they, they lived that lifestyle. Mm-hmm. But they also got very active in regards to the community. So for instance, I have a uh, great uncle who was a Detroit health commissioner back in the day. My great aunt was the first female vice president of a major union, the UAW and the CLUW. Hmm. Uh, you know, always a, a, an idea of service to the community in, in one way or another on, on the east side. And uh, on my dad's side, it's kind of a, a, an interesting twist because we don't know all the details. But my grandmother ran away from home in Maryland hmm. because her father forbade her to go to college. So she hmm. ran away to Montreal and she met my grandfather there who uh, was basically studying to become a minister. And ended up being a deacon at St. Columba Church on the far east side over there mm. by like Marlboro and Jefferson mm. back in the day. And so those two families, they intersect and they, they intersect and they meet on the uh, east side right there near Jefferson. Like my my dad's grandmother lived over on Dickerson. Hmm. All right. So so much more in that story. And that's why I love starting with these origin stories. Um, OK. Around what time is this when your grandmother gets to Montreal? I want to say the nineteen late nineteen twenties. Okay, because so my dad, is... my dad's an older generation. Mm-hmm. So my dad was born in the thirties. Okay, so my dad was as old as most people's grandparents. Mm. So being that 
you said the 1920s, around that time, it's like the Great Depression going on. This is like the dip between uh, World War One and World War II. Um, well, really, like, I guess, like, the start, now that I think about it, of one, if I'm, if I'm correct. But I'm just more so saying, like, for a woman to be that brave, that takes a lot of, like, it just takes a lot of courage, adventure, um, you know, it, it's not like Google was around, you know what I'm saying? Like, mm -hmm. how did she even go about navigating something like that? Well, I got to tell you, when she died, she had a stack of uh, speeding tickets from going up north to visit her daughter. Because mm. she's just that kind of bold person. Mm -hmm. You know, she didn't, a, a risk worth taking means that there's going to be some risk to it. Hmm. And so she was somebody who liked to step firmly on whatever that she was going to do. And she wasn't going to be stopped by some, you know, antiquated, you know, rule. I mean, she was born in 1909. Think about how different our culture was. Yeah. Although it isn't that long away in human history. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and so for her, it was something where she just felt that she needed to do it, that she didn't want to just, you know, end at eighth grade and be somebody's, you know, wife and don't have any, just a wife and no co additional contribution to society. Of course, she was glad to get married, glad to have a couple of kids, but it wasn't just about that. So in a lot of ways, you know, she was before her time and she valued learning and history. You know, she was actually the historian for Indian Village for many years. Wow. Working out of one of the basements over there. Hmm. And, and this is so unique because like when I get these stories, it just further paints the picture of some of the people here, but also just more the stories of human beings because we'll get these snapshots and I think we can romanticize certain figures, but this still takes a lot of courage. And then, like I say, it's no, you know, it's no, no apps, it's no Uber to, to get from, to get to Montreal then, I'm assuming also, no you know. No planes, none of that. Right? Yeah. You know, and, and and I can only imagine just winters then to now and, and how that that was. Do you know what brought her there and why she chose so far away from Maryland to Montreal? That's a big leap. Well, her dad was a state Supreme Court justice. So you go to another country when he's out of his jurisdiction. Hmm. Mm. OK. OK. That makes sense. That makes sense. So this um, and then you also mentioned like giving back in uh, the Catholic Church. I, I don't think a lot of people kind of tie into this, but I just know a couple people that uh, have definitely uh, been in Catholic religions and understand so much more in the parish system, giving back like the, the structure of it as much as I definitely know, you know, as everybody watching, you know, the the it's it's the duality of life. It's mm -hmm. definitely been a lot of things associated with many forms of religion, uh, especially like uh, the amount of wealth connected to that church that definitely can be like, all right, what's going on here? But also some of the works within that church, it's it built systems that helped a lot of European immigrants at a time when I guess whiteness, quote unquote, was not um, what it's become. <laughs> as time is yeah, went I mean, on. if you think about it, so now we're talking about my mom's side of the family. Mm -hmm. So one of the big dramas in my family was that my dad's side was Episcopal and my mom's side was Catholic, and that was a no-no even into the 80s. Mm. That was a no-no alone. Mm. So we're talking about my mom's side and the Catholic side, and I don't, that's not something I really, like, I don't practice any of that. Mm -hmm. Like, that isn't, that's history, but I still have aunts and uncles that are very involved, mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. And there is a duality to it. There is both a mix of all the things that we now know, but all the th community supports that were there because government didn't provide those supports. Mm -hmm. the, the, the idea that government provides any sort of safety net to us is a very new 
innovation yeah. in America. Mm-hmm. This isn't something that we culturally like have. It's like, like these are things that the church is supposed to do to help with immigrants mm-hmm. and things like that. And the whole scale amongst white people of, you know, different, you know, ethnicities and religions and and what do you, you know, what language do you speak and all that other stuff. Yeah, I think about, you know, you, you've heard the, the uh, story of how the term melting pot came together, right? No, p- please share. Okay, so this wasn't in... Uh, <laughs> We'll call it an invention by Henry Ford, mm-hmm. uh, very loosely. Um, mm-hmm. The idea was is that when you worked for Ford's factories, you needed to conform to the American way. Mm-hmm. So when you say the term melting pot, what you're referring to is when they would take immigrant communities from all over the world, and of course, they were working in these factories. Well, they had to be Americanized. They needed to lose speaking their religion or speaking their language. They needed to conform to American standards. They would have inspectors come by their house. And see how they live to make sure they're living up to standards so that they could get their full pay. That's part of the origin of the union movement is mm-hmm. the idea that, you know, you have to – these things that today were just like absolutely abhorred by. This is just what they did like to be able to control culture through employment. Mm. And so a melting pot, this was something that actually existed, a giant pot. And outside of it, like they would do this ceremony, like I think it's once a year, but don't quote me on that. But it was a regular ceremony where you'd had these workers. They would come up to the pot in extremely stereotypical gear of where they're from. You know, so my mom's side is Slovak. So it would be traditional Slovakian garb or something like that. Or if you were Irish or if you were whatever you were, Mm -hmm. you would go into the pot and inside there would be new clothes for you. Hmm. The straw hat, the suit, all that stuff. And then you exit the pot as an American leaving your past behind. Hmm. That was what that's the kind of legacy that Henry Ford gave us on top of all of the other mechanical innovations and everything else. There was also this social dichotomy that I think still plays in our region today as part of the the scars that many of us bear in in different ways. And they're not I don't mean to compare them. I really don't. Hmm. But these are things that happened. And so, like, that's why I kind of resist using the term melting pot, because melting pot means you lose what you had. That's deep. I, I've never heard that story, and I appreciate you sharing that. And and like like we say, just especially like being black, it's always tough. Even in until you go to a place like a New York or a D.C. where it's many people from the diaspora, you don't even understand the nuances of blackness. But you know, when you study history, you understand that whiteness is not. It's still like kind of like um. Kind of like, I guess you say, social programming. Like, it's a, it's a relatively new concept mm-hmm. because America brought about the, the need for whiteness because, you know, so many people, as you say, like Polish, Irish, Italians, Jewish, like, it, white kind of was like German, French, English, and then it started like consolidating around certain things and, and certain churches as you say, would be safe havens to still kind of hold on to what forms of that culture, of of tradition, of family that still existed. And that's true with like the Greek Orthodox. You can mm-hmm. you can name them all off. You know, it's interesting to me the dichotomy. You're talking about like different things at the same time. People hail Lyndon B. Johnson, LBJ, yeah. as the guy who brought the Civil Rights Act, right? Mm-hmm. But he was also the guy who said if you want to get somebody to vote for you, point to somebody less than them. Get mm-hmm. them to think that they're better than somebody less than them. Yeah, Help moving forward that concept that you're just talking about of, okay, now we're going to unite this way, and then we're going to other another group. Not that that group wasn't already othered, but it's all about like shifting people because one of the easiest ways to get people to do something that you want them to do is to make them hate each other. Mm-hmm. It's to create an other. 
Mm-hmm. And it's used to manipulate in all kinds of different directions. And it's been throughout not just American history, but if you listen to, say, the Revolutions podcast by Mike Duncan, Duncan which just wrapped up, great, like there's great series on whether it's a French Revolution, the best in depth on the Haitian Revolution that mm-hmm. is often forgotten. So much of that is that othering. So much of that is we're going to create a group and then we're going to go ahead and create barriers in an outgroup. And then that way we can take power and, and these social caste systems that in a lot of ways still exist today. Certain cultures like India uh, is way more prevalent, uh, Hong Kong and, and other places. And, and then this is still, you know, me with my own American understanding and tradition and conditioning of what that is, because even in America, there are so many caste based systems because it doesn't seem like it. But we're close in age during our lifetime. The the. The wealth to poverty gap has exponentially widened like mm-hmm. and it doesn't seem like it because it's like right before our eyes. But the amount of disparity from Ronald Reagan to Joe Biden of, you know, who that one percent really it's almost like the one percent of the one percent having, you know, I would say untold riches. And then along that way. The caste systems that go into like who's connected to these people that do have like, I guess, levers of control and influence through banks and and more wealth versus those that don't. It is surprising. I, I think these patterns repeat throughout history. Yeah, they repeat. And what happens is, is that people have to be willing to fight for what they want and what they need. Hmm. And I think sometimes. You can give bread and circuses to the masses to pacify them. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean just I don't mean in like a violent way or anything like that, but I do mean in getting out the candidates that you want to get, being involved in the way you want to go. Like how many people today are lost into the TikTok scroll hole? Mm-hmm. And why is TikTok so popular? In part, and I was just listening to a show about this, in part because younger people are less and less active in wanting to hear about serious things happening out there. We've and so often even our serious news conversation is focused on the wrong things. We're focused on the fight. We're focused on the the dunk of the day. Meanwhile, the whole time something else completely different is happening and it's all there. You can see it. You just got to pay more attention to it than the 2 minutes that are packaged. And, and with that 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 kind of drives me into that that with your with your parents and more your story. Then I definitely want to get into content because you're you're doing what I love to do. You're encoding media. <laughs> um, so so your parents, what was your parents? Why, why did they choose to stay here? What 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 connected them to the soil in the area? Well, you know, I will fully admit that. And I know this from talking to my parents. That it wasn't expected. I was going to happen. So my mom had me a lot older in life. And mm-hmm. so did my dad. Mm-hmm. I wasn't expected. Right. Mm-hmm. They were staying together in an apartment over. um you know, in that yellow building over there at uh, Alter and Kerchival. It's still standing there, the cool, like, um, apartment building right there. Anyway, mm-hmm. I-, I wasn't expected. You know, my mom was 40, hmm. right? And in the 80s, that just, like, the medical things weren't there. Like, I just none of this was expected. And, you know, they stayed in the area because they were both creatives in a lot of ways. So my mom was a poet and also worked at a flower shop in Midtown, lived in Midtown for a long time. My dad was a which which flower shop? I don't remember exactly off the top of my head, you know, because I was going to say, was it that flower shop next to Union Street? I'm still mad Union Street closed. But yeah, I'm still mad about that. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, that's a whole nother conversation. I mean, a lot of a lot of restaurants won't come back. But no, no. Uh, Kill for some Rasta wings right now. What about the dragon? The the dragon eggs? Oh, man. 
Mm. Oh, I got to figure out how to make those. Yeah, no, I know. I got to figure out how to make those. So, so my dad was a, a Plum Street artist. He did, he was a bit of a, a traveler and travel, you know, he's mm-hmm. a, was a military vet. Uh, and what, what, uh, did he serve? He did, uh, Korea. Mm, okay. Um, so, I mean, it was very late in that. And then, you know, he got out just before the Vietnam war because he had enough years in, and his CO Thank God. on the quiet was like, you know, you have enough years. I can't, mm. I'm not going to say what's ahead, but you should strongly consider, Yeah, you know, your future. And so he went, threw himself back into his art because he mm. was never like, soldiering wasn't his, his thing. He worked doing special projects and things like that. It was a place for him to be in, you know, because he was kind of unmoored. And, and it's unique that you bring that up. I was just at this past weekend, uh, Baba Wayne Curtis from uh, Feedem Freedom Gardens, uh, a war veteran from Vietnam. And then also, you know, Tyree Guyton, uh, another war veteran. Like, it's a connection between artistry and some soldiers that definitely have served. And uh, the Korean War, as we know, that has a lot of ties to Michigan. Man, oh, man, that was a very... Um, when you think of a conflict where America bombed the hell out of a nation, boy, boy. And but, then we forgot the people who went there, right? That too. We did not. That's kind of almost like the forgotten war in a lot of ways. Yeah. So that was something where he, you know, he, he embraced his art after that. And he actually was part of like the Plum Street artist community. Like he lived over on Plum Street for a while. Mm-hmm. If people don't know, there used to be an artist colony where the DTE headquarters now stands, roughly, hmm. uh, near the Cass Corridor there. And you can look online, see all kinds of pictures of it. So much of that, like, tapestry where so many of those, like, underground zines were created and that kind of thing. So, like, like 70s, 80s, or 60s? I want to say 60s, 70s, because he went okay. to Wayne State. Because mm. he told me the story about the bobcat he had at Wayne State. Wow, he had a bobcat? Yeah, he, you know, he's he's interesting guy. Yeah, I was going to say, your like, dad like, sounds like Like, a, all the things that you kind of stereotype. Of, of a hippie or something? <laughs> yeah, like, he's, you know, I remember one time, and I could say the story now because he's gone, but... Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I remember him saying, sitting me down, being like, try whatever drugs you want. Just don't do anything that messes with your heart. Because once your heart stops, it's Hilarious. all over. I bet you your dad knew that sugar man dude, probably. Oh, I I mean, there's so many people that I run into <laughs> randomly. It's like, <laughs> okay, all right, that's it, you yeah, know. No. Mm-hmm. Um, whether that or on my mom's side. Okay. You okay. know, like I, I met, because my uncle ended up becoming, my uncle was, and he's gone too. But he was uh, mayor of Sterling Heights back in the 80s hmm. for a while. And he was not like I cannot endorse his um, politics politics in mm-hmm. any way, shape, or form or preferences. You know, I'll just tell you the story that you know my my auntie has um, four cousins of mine. They're all black, mm-hmm. mixed race, but they identify you know they identify, identify as black. As black. Uh, and after she had the first kid, he, she was never allowed over his house anymore. God damn. Yeah, that I mean so that tells you everything. That, you know. that that happens a whole lot more than people think. Mm-hmm. Period, especially back in the 80s. I have a I have a homeboy that has a, a sister uh, that married a white man and his family ostracized on the minute that, you know, so it was one of those weird things where he now for over because they've been married now. That was in the 80s. So they've been married, you know, 30 plus years at this point. But it, his family is his black family. So it's like you'll see. And I mean, like he's a, a you know, and I, I'm definitely like, I guess you would say like stereotypical. Like he looks like, you know what I'm saying? Like uh, Mr. Drummond or something. You know what I'm saying? So <laughs> you'll be like at a cookout and then it's like, damn, why Mr. Drummond there? And it's like, no, nah, he cool, though. You know what I'm saying? So it's it's interesting just that that is, you know, where the spectrum of where society and the perspectives of so many people. Yeah. And, and you know? there, there's two interesting formative experiences for how I approach stories and 
talk to people in that. So mm-hmm. one, I learned that through research that um, that mayor of Sterling Heights was responsible for a lot of the sprawl, mm-hmm. <clears throat> a lot of sprawl that you see today. Mm-hmm. A big part of that was not including sidewalks. Mm-hmm. Why? Because undesirables use sidewalks. Mm. It was a way to keep people out. Yeah. Right? The things that we say about, you know, we wonder why we have a bad transit system. That was by intent. Yeah. To keep people away from each other. To make sure to preserve property values. Mm -hmm. And that's a story you'll go through. If you read Origins of the Urban Crisis, which I'm sure you have, uh, you'll see that preserve property values thing used for so many things. So so being that your parents are like artists, and, and and I guess definitely I'm using the term hippie, but, you know, in That's my fair. mind, that would be, I'm assuming, what would be labeled as. But just taking on some ideas and challenging uh, conformist uh, ideals at the time when I'm thinking of 60s, 70s, 80s. Uh, how, how did that mesh, I'm guessing, even just in family discussions, the thought process of, and perspectives of, like, your mother, your father versus, like, more conservative thinking Especially in the eighties, when when mm-hmm. Ronald Reagan was ramping up and trickle down economics, what what was that like? You know, I I was obviously a kid. Mm-hmm. I think part of it is I wish I had known more because uh, truth be told, my mom died when I was ten. Mm-hmm. So a lot of it became how do you survive as a single parent? Yeah, and and so that's how those policies came through, mm-hmm. right? And just the the dealing of things and the. The mental stress that a lack of resources created, mm-hmm. that there were just lots of things that I'm thankful for all the experiences that I had. But it, it, it's just that that it, it manifested through that stress. Hmm. It manifested through just trying to make it work and hmm. trying to pay the bills was was a lot of that. You know, it's somebody where I felt like I had my my feet in two worlds. In fact, I, I feel like I have my feet in multiple worlds and sometimes feel at home in none. Mm, interesting you know because like i am i've been in the city most of my adult life but oftentimes like obviously there are plenty of people over the years like you don't belong here yeah true. right but like i was born at hutzel hospital yeah like my grandmother was over on seminole mm-hmm. like 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 the, the whole thing is just like a it's like you could never make anyone happy so you have to step firmly with your own like who you are and just go out there and go forward and then also for your father to be an artist especially like an artist or I love artists. You love artists. But mm-hmm. artists, when you think of especially a man at that time raising a 10-year-old, that's going to be a whole nother realm of, like, understanding. Like, in just – I can only imagine, like, some of the people just, like, meeting your dad's friends, what that would have been like it just as a kid, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was something where it's like, so why is your, why is your dad painting somebody in the living room? Because mm-hmm. that's just not normal activity mm-hmm. for a lot of people. Like, why? Why is that happening? Like, why is somebody sitting for a portrait? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and there were a lot of challenges with that. That eventually, as things went on, you know, he, you know, th- th- he kind of lost the rails a little bit. Yeah. You know, as I got older, because it was just very difficult. You know, my grandmother did a lot to raise me. Not that my dad didn't try his hardest, but it's. It's a lot. And and with that being said, what do you think like someone like your father would think of today's 
artist community in my mind from the outside looking in it seems to be more of a of a more of a habitat and it's still a lot of strides as we definitely look at even the fight with the dia to include more of the detroit artists and so many other things going on there but yeah, what do you somebody... think he would think of of some of the things happening today like it's it's a it's it feels as though it's not so much of a blue collar town and some culture is oozing through a little bit more you know, it's funny you talk about the DIA. I have a childhood memory of going there and my dad not getting his piece in by one vote. Going there on the bus because he didn't have a car. And hmm. so we'd take the 25 Jefferson down to the Woodward. Hmm. And, you know, he went and presented the art and I waited downstairs in the lobby and he didn't get it by one vote. Damn. Damn, that's you like know? some, uh, that's like a pursuit of happiness type story shit. You know, like I remember those hmm. things of him like going to the old post office that used to be in the Fisher building. Mm -hmm. in the I basement. remember in the basement, yeah. Yep, yep, and you do all the rolling so he could sell his prints. Hmm. Like I remember those things, like going around town. Like one of the reasons I'm passionate about transit is because there was no car growing up when I was a kid. Hmm. So if I wanted to go to Belle Isle, it was, Belle Isle, it was 25 to the Belle Isle bus. Hmm. Right or the smart bus or whatever, like it, it. That's just how it was. Mm -hmm. There, there wasn't that 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 thing there. When it comes to the community itself, you know, I think Detroit has long suffered from. Many Detroit artists are often revered outside of the city and the region more than they are here. Yes, and that's a shame. Mm -hmm. You know, you can go to New York. You know, you're talking about places of the diaspora, places like like, like vibrant places like Bed Bedsty and things mm -hmm. like that. Or you go, you go out west. You see people doing these things. Yeah, San Francisco. San Francisco. Um, you know, uh, definitely like Los Angeles. I mean, even I've been hearing more about like even you know even artistry in Arizona. Mm -hmm. It's it's more uh, included in the culture. Whereas I guess Detroit was so blue collar for so long and to have so many talented people. It seemed like, you know. Well, there's also mm. that constant force, like push and pull behind. You're an artist, but. If you're going to be a professional artist or even like somewhat of a sideline, unless you're just doing it as a thing outside of your job, like we need to support our artists. Hmm. There needs to be a market for that. Mm -hmm. Right. Like it's, it's that it's that push and pull of you want to do your art, but also like I think art deserves to be compensated. Yeah. And that has to happen. Like that's part of the culture that we have to reinforce, even if it's on a small level. Mm -hmm. You know, like I was talking to a friend of mine. It's like. Why did this piece, whatever, and my friend wouldn't give me five bucks for it? Hmm. Come on. Yeah. Right? Like, what What do we value here? We have to ask ourselves that. If we want to step forward and say, you know, population-wise, we're never going to be a number four, number five city again. Hmm. Right? We're just not. Like, you look at it. I was looking at a thing the other day because I'm going to Bed-Stuy in a couple of months again. Mm -hmm. And I realized that Brooklyn, like, so you hear this thing, right? You heard this too, right? Corktown's a new Brooklyn or whatever. You've heard all this yeah. stuff, right? Yeah. You know, Brooklyn is 2.7 million people in an area the size of Warren and Sterling Heights put together. It's 2.7 million people in an area half the size of the city of Detroit. Mm -hmm. That's about connections. That's about density. That's about energy and momentum. Mm -hmm. That's what we have to look at here in Detroit about density, energy, momentum, you know, encouraging people to stay and to grow and to say, this is a place that I can be instead of a place that I can save. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, we got to get rid of the savior thing and really look at, this is a place I want to put my roots. Yeah. And, and, and it's unique you bring that up. Um, and, and now we're just, like, I guess getting more into the content world. So, so after that, I'm guessing um, 
grow school what what uh what high school what what college what what what's happening there well, I uh, went to the college, the School of Hard Knocks. I got you. <laughs> I got you. All right. Um, so, go ahead. So, high school? Uh, Gross Point South. Okay. And then after Gross Point South, you just, what do you jump into? I was the floor manager for Channel 4 News when I was 18 years old. Okay. Okay. How did that connection end up happening? It kicked my, well, I mean, so I produced a telethon mm-hmm. and raised like 20 grand or something for that through that telethon and some people saw mm, me. Damn. And it was something where, I needed an opportunity to to make some money because just mm-hmm. there wasn't any, yeah. so it took the job. Like okay. there was nowhere to nobody to pay for my college, so mm-hmm. I had to work. And uh, so at that time, that's a that's a that's an interesting predicament to get put into because just the pace of television or the pace of broadcast is tough, just radio. But television adds another layer and dynamic to that pace. And what was that like? to get basically go from high school which is kind of like you know do what you want to do to like being being like I you're can, I can swear you're it, in right? war yeah whoop my ass mm. <laughs> mm. i can see that like I it just whooped my ass like i wasn't good at it mm-hmm. um i went like i learned a lot and over time as i did other jobs afterward i got sharper but it whooped my ass like like you realize what you have to do to really lock in and people get into this idea of like content creation of, of, you know, well, you know, I don't feel da da da. If you want to be a professional c- content creator, whether it's writing, whatever you want to do, you need to get up and do it on the days you don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. And you know what? When that studio door closes, you have to be ready mm-hmm. and you have to go. Yeah. If you want to do that, if you, you know, as Martha Jean, the queen says, if you really want to make it, mm-hmm. do you really want to make it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, you got to go. So, so from that, you you kind of are venturing in this world of content creation before we know what content creation is. Where do you go from there? I mean, I did a lot of like various freelance work. You name it. I did a while for years where I just took every job that was on the road because I hadn't traveled. Mm. I okay. Whatever, it didn't matter what it was. It didn't matter how horrible it was. It didn't matter how. It. it didn't matter if I could get mm. not around here to see the country. <laughs> So where did you travel during these? Oh, travels? you name it. Everywhere from like Los Angeles to Gary, Indiana. Oh man, good old Gary. Gary, um, I, I call Gary the the uh, it's it's Indiana's Flint. That's what I call it. But it's also the the home of the Jackson Five. <laughs> you know, like Wisconsin to Memphis to mm. you know wherever wherever the winds took me. You know, and I I really got to enjoy a lot of places. I'm actually really glad that I got to go to Memphis. Uh, Last year again, because mm-hmm. uh, Detroit City FC made it to the playoffs and they played mm-hmm. the team from Memphis. So I was like, oh, mm-hmm. I get to go back down there again. Let me tell you, that town reminds me of Detroit in the 90s. Yeah. I like, um, yeah, I, I plan on uh, getting down there for a Grizzly game myself sometime soon. Oh, it's John Morant. You oh, know, my goodness. Uh, it's some people I know down in Memphis. Um, and, and then also love blues. So I, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, uh, amongst that, in, in these travels, did... When did these conversations, how, when do you come into podcasting as far as like, when did you just start listening to podcasts? Think, this may be something I want to do. Oh, geez. When did they first start coming out? Like 05, 04? Yeah, about 04, 05, right. 04. So I used, to, uh, I used to go to work or whatever and whatever job I was doing and I had one of those Apple iPod shuffles, the white gum stick, the cheap one. Yep. You know, and I'd preload all my shows. Mm. that I would listen to on that thing because it lasted forever. So you were like early on listening to podcasts. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, because you could listen to things that actually interest you. Mm-hmm. 
you know, the mainstreamification of media had already strongly begun. Like, we think now with, you know, the robot DJs in the same station across 50 different, you know, 50 different markets, whatever, mm. that, that, that machine, that barn, that horse left the barn a mm. long, long time ago. Mm. And so if you were interested in something that maybe was niche commercially viable or viable to an audience that cared about it, Mm-hmm. That's what you could do, and that's part of the magic that's always been of podcasting is the ability to do something that you know when you work for when you do mainstream media in a lot of ways, and you know this, you've got the experience. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like okay, here's your three minutes. Yeah, here's your six minutes. This it, is it. it and lacks, there's a value to it, but it lacks the depth. So much context. Like I, I think I was early on listening. I want to say I started listening like maybe oh six oh seven. I would listen for hours of, um, and then just over the arc of like uh, first it was Mark Marin, then mm-hmm. it was Bill Burr, and then it's like I would listen and I'm like, okay, this is interesting. You know what I'm saying? Even Rogan, even though it's so weird, it's like Joe Rogan is almost so polarizing to even mention him in podcasts, especially being black. It's like, oh, you listen to him? And I'm like, it's been some interesting, like like the deeper dive, long form content gives bigger context. Now, do I agree with any any and all of what anybody says? No, not at all. I go back and listen to some of my stuff and say, damn, I can't believe I said that <laughs> shit. But it's, it, 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 it was it was unique to be feel as though I was in the conversation. So you were listening, and then you would just be working and, and just um, it would kind of connect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'd be better than unless there was like a Tigers game on or mm-hmm. something like that. It'd be a good way to like fill the time, or while I was doing whatever work, or you know, like I'd work with my you know, I'd do window washing with my uncle on weekends to make extra mm-hmm. money or. You know what I mean? Like you just and you can throw those on, and you're just in that world, mm-hmm. listening to Malcolm Galwell tell you, you know, or how freak- he got got about to, you know, his books and stuff. Or earlier shows like Freakonomics. Yeah, which Freakonomics has re- really been inspiring I, yeah. for me. Yeah, Freakonomics. I, I like the book, and then when I got the podcast, I was like, wow! Now they're really getting in depth with a lot of the concepts in the books. So, as uh, my econ teachers say, that's that's pop culture economics. That's what my econ teachers say. But it's an interesting book. If you ever read Freakonomics, it's nothing about sex and everything. It's uh, it's that's a lot freak, of stuff. That's Freakonomics. <laughs> we should write that book. We'll make double the money. Exactly. It'd be like the industry of that. But no, nah, it, it, it's a it's an interesting podcast, interesting book. Um, just looking at percentages and things like that. And it's like, wow, you, you know, you can pull some good game. From these podcasts. Well, and for when it comes to Freakonomics, for me, it's the hidden the hidden side of everything is what's what's interesting to me more than the numbers. It's more of what are the motivations that drive mm-hmm. that individual decision? Yeah. What were the real reasons behind it as opposed to kind of what the public embraced? Mm-hmm. And when, with all those stories. And I think that's really part of what got got me is and especially as like time goes on and you dive into more things and. You cover more things and you get more experiences and you realize that there is, in fact, kind of two things. It's not the conspiracy theory version. Oftentimes, the conspiracy theory is off. It's like, follow the money. Mm-hmm. Like, what is the motivation for them to do this? What is why do they need to say that? It's like it's like my great aunt would say, never ask someone to vote against their pocketbook. They'll always say no. Yeah. You have to convince them that it's in their personal benefit. Now, they'll say on social media, I do this, or they'll they'll say, you know, they'll they'll signal that I'm part of this. But when it comes to that vote, 
when the curtain closes, they're voting for themselves. And, and even more so than that, like, that's why it's so unique to have you here, especially today. And think about this decoding that I plan on getting into because I'm one to, you know, my interest in marketing and in 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 the storytelling and content. So much of this is conditioning. Like people we've we've been and we all have this. So like some of these words I use, I think people will put negative connotations to it, like it's saying conditioning or propaganda or something like that, but or media even sometimes now, or content or you know, the classic one, fake news. Like all of this has like a semblance and understanding and, and, and how, because it's going to hit hearts and minds and how hearts and minds respond, why you want the hearts and minds to respond the way that they do. Uh, and, and the packaging of that, as you say, like what was behind that motivation as, you know, um, as, as when we think of so many stories, it's rarely as simple as you know, the way that stories were told to us when we were younger, because back in the day, like, you know, you have a good guy, a bad guy. And that was pretty much it. Like when when I was younger, I remember I was talking about, um, you know, Christopher Reeves is Superman. Like that was superhero movies when I was really young. You know what I'm saying? And I remember they come on Channel 20 and reruns and, you know, he's the good guy. Everything was set up, whereas now it's so many nuances to the way that you see like a black Adam. And where it's like mm -hmm. a hero that's an anti-hero that's doing things you like, but he's doing it in a way where it's still like conflict. Like it's so many more layers that have been added, though it's still well, those the layers basis were always is the there. same. Those exactly. layers were always there. We just mm -hmm. now see them. You mm -hmm. know, let, let's hit the hot button. You said fake news. Let's hit the hot button. Mm -hmm. Fake news, the thing is that reporting and, and journalists often mistake about it. They think that they can like report their way out of fake news like well i just need to make sure i have my fact or whatever it doesn't matter about your facts hmm. it's an in-group signaler it's a signal to say i am part of this group when someone mm -hmm. says that's fake that that's a flag that's for other people to see that person so they can connect to each other mm -hmm. like we're trying to like out like fact check and whatever fact checking doesn't work like you want to present the facts and that's very key but you have to understand the motivations and that's that's where like decoding this stuff does come into play because mm -hmm. some of the facts and some of the realities it, it can get really tough at the conf at the Detroit Policy Conference. Uh, one of the tougher discussions that I was going to have, and we're going to expand more on this, and and I'm sure they're going to partner. It's um, you know, um, man, it's like how do I even present this? I'm gonna just shoot from the hip. So some of the people I know that work with DTE. Uh, and definitely DTE is an entity that it, it's tough because the amount of I know the bills that I'm facing. I know the bills that my neighbors face and what it is. And it's it is accepted as a natural monopoly in the industry. Um, and, and the rates will continue to, you know, to rise. But the reality is I also understand the business end of this is our infrastructure in, in Detroit and just even across America, mm -hmm. the infrastructure in America, even with this Build Back Better Act, I mean, we, you would be living in what I would consider delusion to not recognize that a grandiose plan needs to go into effect because not since like FDR's New Deal has there been like a massive uh, focus to improve the qualities of the American infrastructure. And 
even when FDR did that, you had a different populace of of Americans. You had a you had a different way of people looking at work ethic. You had a different commitment to how things would be done versus today where some of the some of the most expeditious uh, engineering and execution is coming from Nigeria, coming from China, coming from certain places of India. But it definitely not coming from America because a lot of the focus in America isn't even like the the to, to do that type of work. If anything, a person's like, I'm going to do this skill trade for five years so then I can turn over and do a podcast like Kari. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know, you know what I mean? Like it's a different like mentality. So I'm giving all of this to say some of the nuances, as you say, like when you present facts and how we angle these facts and how we look at things. It takes so much more critical thinking to exercise mm-hmm. to go about how to have an understanding for the challenges that we're facing and still understand the challenge of like, look, but it's a family in there with, with kids and they need to make sure that they're taken care of. And you're still profitable, even though I know you're worried about it not being profitable because you're thinking that at the end of the day, you know, um, we we don't want to lose profits and lose shareholders. It's quarterly versus legacy thinking. Mm. If you think about Eastern cultures, a lot of Eastern cultures look at things from a legacy point of view. It's mm-hmm. all right. Let's let's think in two hundred year zones. Mm-hmm. Let's think about planting seeds for trees that we will not sit under. With the way that everything has become now. It's you have to deliver by the quarter. When you have to make every decision by the quarter, follow the money. Then you end up doing different things than if you have the runway or space to say, we are going to rebuild our electrical infrastructure. Another bill that's coming due, our sewer infrastructure. Billions of dollars is coming due. And here is the deal. Everybody out there on the internet that's angry on Facebook is like, my taxes are too high. They're stealing money. The roads. You know what? The stuff gets old. And at the end of the day, Metro Detroit's population has not grown since the 70s. Mm-hmm. Yet, what else have we built since the 70s? What else have we vacated since the 70s? Mm-hmm. All that costs money. Yeah, We don't think about that because we think of it in a personal consumer capitalism kind of way. Mm-hmm. It's It's my life, my thing. It's not, okay, how do we say that we are going to have yet another plan like electrification was earlier in this in the last century to say we are going to make sure that everybody has this access everybody has internet access or the opportunity for it that everybody has like these these sewer issues and these flooding issues are uh, absolutely predictable every expert knew it was coming yeah it was all there but people didn't want to hear it yeah. And one of the challenges as a media creator, and I don't know if you find this challenge, you can talk about something till you're blue in the face, but someone will say, well, I didn't hear it. You didn't talk about it when you did, but but they didn't want to hear it. They're not ready to hear that message. And that is the challenge. We have a number of challenges as a country that we need to face, but we have a population that for a multitude of reasons that are all justifiable within their personal lives are not ready to hear it. Yeah, I mean, the sewer lines are another one that I definitely like, you know, here in my neighborhood. And it seems like on new blocks, 
as people know, like water main breaks will happen more often. Like it's a couple blocks where I just know if it's a snowy, icy day, don't even don't even bother driving down that street because it's going to happen. Um, and then I, I think of even the 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 and, and you know you're a Detroit homeowner, so you got that uh, the the. I the, have the, the letter by the where door. it said the the letter where it's like you know hey guess what Detroiters we have this new idea where you know the the pipeline that goes from your house to the sewer line just in case you know you can get this program for one hundred and fifteen dollars a year and I know it's one hundred and fifteen dollars now but I'm sure that in six years that's going to be like a three hundred and fifty dollar tax on top of everything and that was something that used to be covered because I don't know if anybody's ever seen this but if the sewer line between your house and the main line outside breaks, that can be tens of thousands of dollars to fix and mm -hmm. drudging up. And then also, depending upon how the lines were laid, because that may also in involve gas lines being over it, it could also involve a call to DTE as well. And some of these, some of this infrastructure, you know, you think about all the infrastructure under the city that's been there for a century, way over its useful life. Yeah. But when you have depopulation or when you have a disinvestment, those things don't get fixed on time. Yeah. Right. There isn't that maintenance schedule. And so that's part of the challenge of trying to figure out like this is where it's like, OK, you look at things like brownfield tax credits. Yeah, they can be used squirrely. But also sometimes they're absolutely necessary because the stuff hasn't been hasn't been touched since, you know, 1926. Mm -hmm. Right. Like it, it's this 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 balance that we have to constantly walk because there hasn't been that investment. There hasn't been that, that wealth building within the community mm -hmm. to, to lift things up. And, you know, it'd be one thing if, if we had sprawled to all these places that we did and, you know, Macomb township being one of the most popular places to live in Metro Detroit and we were growing people. It's like, Oh, well we need more room or we need more, whatever. That isn't the case. We're just, and all that just adds mile of stuff, stuff that needs to be repaired. And then we can't have discussions because it's politically impossible Yeah. of, you know what? Maybe there are only three houses on that block and maybe we need to reset the infrastructure for what it is. And, and it becomes tough because we're dealing with like this brownfield that is a new one. And, and and it's a new form of like I know devaluing what my property and other properties and the lawsuit. It's a, it, it right, becomes like, squirrely stuff. That it becomes it becomes tough, too, because back to, like, fake news and it's like, who do you trust? How do you trust anybody? Because in some ways, I sometimes feel that the snake eats its own tail here because, yeah, now when, okay, all right, we're going to allocate a trillion dollars to fix something. In the back of our minds, we're thinking, all right, now, will the best actors present themselves or will the, it's a trillion dollars over there, let me get my hands on it, actors present themselves? And will they just kick the can? You know, like it, it becomes one of the toughest, toughest things because you are correct. Like a lot of these infrastructures, these bridges, you know, I mean, we're hearing some of these stories about some of these bridges collapsing, you know, um, how bridges are collapsing, you know, how fast we can fix some of these roads, uh, especially like if you if you're in certain parts of rural America, you know, it, it's it's ways, you know, it's just streets that, you know, it, it's old school, like, you know, hoping the creek don't rise <laughs> days in some of these places. And these are tough discussions to have because it still is 2023. Mm -hmm. You know, the messaging now as information is traveling so fast, you know, in certain ways we're like in the Matrix because you're in wherever, you know, wherever America 
but you're connected to you know the Kardashians, the 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 LeBron James, the 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 Tom Brady, the you know Beyonce. Like your world now is still can be so immersed in something outside because of the advent of the internet. Mm-hmm. But the inside could be a lot worse than what people you know don't even know. You know, because that's what I, I really do have questions about this infrastructure in this nation and how long, how much longer we I think that it will be sustainable. Well, and the, the thing is, is that a lot of times we like to think that the problem is just Michigan or whatever. No. But you talk to people in California, you know, you got Ellen DeGeneres doing a an Instagram selfie down a, you know, a creek that's like right next to her. Like that's eroding by your creek. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you're talking about stars. That's why I brought that up. Yeah. Like these issues are across the country. Like we're we're setting up communities in places with no drinking water. Yeah. You know, you look at those reservoirs out west, and yeah, some of the recent rains have helped it, but this is these are the, the climate patterns now. I mean, this winter, this has been a very warm winter for us. It's been very warm. It was extremely cold because I know, you know, my birthday's around that time. Usually it's not that cold. And usually, you know, we play by ear, but today it's 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 the middle of January and we're, you know, you know, it's it's very unusually warm. I would like to correct you. It is always hot on your birthday. <laughs> <laughs> it's see, you know, like usually I'm I'm, you know, I'm able to do something, but it right, was right. so cold during that time. You know, and, and we'll have these dips. And even during those dips when we talk about infrastructure, I don't know if you remember that one of the last deep freezes we had where it was like maybe five degrees and DTE said, Look, hey, everybody, can you please, you know, lo- use less of your heat? And I'm like, damn, they really hitting us with that? Mm-hmm. Knowing that most people are going to be like, I'm cranking. Yeah. You know, and for me, I kind of top out at like, I, even if it's like, even if it's, you know, in the, in the degree, like not even degrees, like if it's, <laughs> if it's that cold, I'm still a 75 guy and, and bundling up because I'm, I'm worried about how much my bill's going to be. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's that thing where during that time, I remember just going from room to room with my little heater, mm-hmm. you know, just like, okay, I'm going to be in this room today and that's it. Yeah. You know, cause that's just. Because I know how much it all adds up to be with big old houses and stuff like that. It just adds up even faster. That gets to things like uh, resources and availability for rent- winterization and home improvements and all those things. Like people like people think may think that's kind of crazy, but it actually can save hundreds of dollars every year. It can it can make a huge difference. But again, it's like you got to take care of these things over time. You got to you got to invest over time with it, and you got to have the resources to do that. So it just becomes the circle. So with that, and, and we're and we're getting in our zone, but <laughs> Daily Detroit, yeah. What led you to Daily Detroit? Well, uh, I thought you know I, I never expected it to be this. Mm-hmm. It was originally a project that kind of blew off steam. Made it with some friends, uh, had a couple of uh, extra whiskeys at Nancy Whiskey. There we go. And was just like, let's make a website. Mm-hmm. And then it just turned into writing about things and covering things around town. And, you know, because I'd had a more of like a, a background dealing with media and television journalism and mm-hmm. sports and that kind of stuff. And then I had decided to go do corporate work for a while. And uh, I just wanted an outlet. That's all. Like with some friends. Like it wasn't mm-hmm. like there was no grand strategy. Mm-hmm. But uh, then it just started kind of picking up on Facebook. It started picking up on social media. Did a said, all right, we'll start taking newsletter subscriptions and picked up some of that because people want to know what's happening in Detroit, in Metro Detroit, how it all fits together. You know, they there is especially in this digital world, 
there is more of a need than ever to connect people to their communities, especially in a region like Metro Detroit. And as I've said, and you, you've said before, like Daily Detroit has a regional focus. And yeah. in part, it's for a reason. Like it's something that we feel strongly about covering. It's something that we know well, although the city is the heart of everything going on. It's the beating mm-hmm. heart of this region. So it's very important to pay attention to what's happening there. Mother Nature doesn't care about your county line. Mm. You know, like this all works together as much as you want to push other things away. Like the world is interconnected. And especially in an area like this where, you know, I think about when I go to Chicago, I've been to Columbus or other places and visit people. And like you just you walk out your door and there's a bunch of things happening. In most of Metro Detroit, that's not the case. In most of Metro Detroit, not only are we sequestered by our digital devices, but we're on a cul-de-sac somewhere. Or yeah. we have two privacy fences on either side. Yeah. Or whatever. We, 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 we aren't able to create those, what I like to call, happy collisions. And, and, and also, like I always say with Detroit is different, it's, it's still a very cliquish town. Like, it, in good cliques, meaning like, it's whole worlds going on in Detroit mm-hmm. that you'll live here your whole life and be like, wow, I had no idea that there was a, a there was such a rich, um, you know, like, you know, Bengali community that exists in Metro Detroit until you connect in that world. And it's like, wow, it's like nothing but Bengali people over here. Like it's like that in a lot of pockets of Detroit. Yeah. No, I don't know everything. And I'll be the first one to say that. But I think the key is to always be willing to learn something new and have your your assumptions challenged. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's part of the fun of this place is like mm-hmm. there's always something new. I, I will never know it all. Yeah. And that's humbling and that's beautiful. Like I enjoy that challenge. Mm-hmm. That there will always be something. And and so I think it's incumbent upon content creators that are of this place. And I, I don't I'm not talking about like how it's like structured as a nonprofit or five oh what I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is it's not owned by, say, Graham Media or, or Gannett or something outside mm-hmm. where yeah. it's clearly something that, although there are local people here, like the money's going, like it's it's part of a greater thing that's just one pod ap- among a greater thing. When it comes to people who are interested in investing in the Metro Detroit community here, it is incumbent upon us to help connect people together, to highlight stories that, okay, maybe you go try this thing you never tried before. Like- you know, people can slam on doing food coverage, but that's the number one opening door opener yeah. to get people to experience something new. True. Right? Food like, is food. It's, it's and the start. Every time you do a poll of what people want, food comes up high. Always. Yeah. Always. We just did an email survey. You know what they want? They want to know about the new stuff. They want to know yeah. about the restaurants. They want to know about places they've never been. They want to know about restaurants of different backgrounds that they've never tried. Like, mm-hmm. that is a way that we experience culture here. And it's a door opener to say, okay, maybe you start here, but then maybe you look at something else, and then maybe you look at this. You, it's a journey. Yeah, you're around. You can't go it. from like zero to hundred. Yeah, that doesn't how that's not how humans work. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. So, so with that, you've grown to do so much more now with Daily Detroit. Just like Detroit is different. Like I, I look to, you know, we're we're some of the originals in this space in podcasting with a Detroit title and then shout out to my pod fathers, IT and the D. That's how we met oh, yeah. through them. Oh yeah. Um where do you see where do you see things going? Because also like uh for a while it was it was heating up where everybody was getting into it. Certain people have fo- you know falling back like usual. You're still in your content world. I'm still in my content world. What do you see coming down the pipeline? 
you know, there's going to be a bigger, bigger challenge for us because a lot of the legacy outlets don't have a business model anymore. Yeah. They've been having layoffs. They've been, you know, stretched out different things. Also, the way that people consume content has changed. True. Whether it's short form video, whether it's TikTok, whether it's Instagram Reels, whether it's YouTube, like the world isn't changing. It has changed and it will always change, but it has changed. And so if we want to preserve that, if we want to share those stories, then it's going to be time for all of us to level up mm-hmm. in order to be able to fill that gap in a variety of communities. And hopefully there's more. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't look at very much as competition whatsoever. No. I really don't. And I know that's like a, maybe it's my hippie parent way of thinking of things. No, but, but you know, that I think that's why we connected so well. Cause like people would be like, oh, Detroit is different. Daily Detroit. Wouldn't you be a, no, not at all. Like, you know, I saw him at the event and it's like, oh, what up? It's, it's mm-hmm. all love because in this content world, we recognize that through the niche, my, we can interview the same person and it's not going to be the same story. And should be both will be something you need to listen to to get all angles of whoever it is you're trying to get an understanding of. And that's why the door is always open to, you know, we've had number all kinds of outlets on our show Mm -hmm. before local, national, whatever, because here's the thing. I think one thing that that we need to do in this generation of content is make sure that those authentic voices and your perspective and is shared Mm -hmm. because one thing about like people talk about why they don't trust media and there's this whole Mm -hmm. distrust of media and this and that. Mm -hmm. And if you think about it, there was an example. I don't know if you saw this. Do you see the lady that slipped into her, the reporter in Boston that slipped into her Boston accent on Twitter? Like she was doing a news report and all of a sudden it was like wash or something like that. Yeah. And everybody had a good laugh, right? Yeah. But to me, that kind of gets to the authentic. Like how why how she should, yeah, she shouldn't sound like like here's like me and my anchor voice. You know what I'm saying? This is my regular Kari Fraser speaking voice, but anchor voice would be like, "Hello, here today we're talking to the founder of Daily Detroit. Daily Detroit is such a, and it's like I don't talk like that. No, you don't. And and I appreciate that. But the scary thing is, I talk like this just louder with more gin. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? So it's like it's like we we have to be who we are and through the sincerity. And that's what I think a lot of people miss with some of the people with the larger podcast followings, whether that be a burr or I mean, Marin slowed down and changed around. But like it's still him. It's It's still. But in that journey. And that's the cool thing. Like I tell people, like even a bad episode is a good episode for the person that follows as a fan, because I'm with you on the journey. It's more sincere. I feel connected to you. Whereas a lot of the other information that I'm getting, it feels so it doesn't even deliver like because my critical thinking is always like, man, like you say, it's like they gave me three, three minutes of a, you know, house fire on the east side and, and everyone was saved. And it's like, OK, it's, you know, now critical thinking goes into my my mind thinking that we have a city. We have one of the largest cities in America. Um, there are probably, you know, I would imagine, you know, maybe on a, on an average day, 50 fires a day, uh, what stood out about this fire, you know, back to another infrastructure thing. I'm very aware that they're checking these fire hydrants in and around the city. Like was the fire hydrant there? Was, you, you know what I'm saying? Like I'm hearing, I'm thinking so much stuff when I get, as you say, like the blurb story, even if it's the feel good story, even if it's, Hey, this, this kid decided to sell cookies so that he could send his basketball team on a field trip because they won the opportunity to meet 
I don't know, LeBron James or something. It's like, okay, there are so many other feel-good stories. What stood out about this feel-good story? Like, I'm decoding all this stuff. And, you know, so often, you talk about that, so often it's about what's easiest for the person to cover. Yeah. Right? If you think about it from a PR perspective, make it easier for people to cover. That's one thing even I think about, like, people say, well, my restaurant needs to get this or that. Make it easy for someone to cover you. Mm-hmm. Well, same thing with those fires. It was the one that came up on the scanner, and they're like, all right, I can drive to this one fast enough to get to it. Now, there might mm-hmm. be additional hooks to it, whatever, but you know, there's so much of a deadline pressure in that, and there's so much that, that just has to get, get filled in that time. And it's a hard job. It's a really hard job to do, but it's also one where you have to just keep things it's, – it's, you lose a little bit of the, the, the context. And so one of the things I wanted to, to mention with you was – we were talking about different voices and making mm-hmm. sure that they're heard. One thing that's really frustrating for me is a lot of times people will say, well, we want to bring someone on for their voice or their perspective. And then they neuter that perspective. Yeah. They say, well, you can't you can't speak like that or you can't add your personal experience to it when it's that personal experience that helps people trust you. So you think about. Uh, they're, they're, OK, so here's one thing. You look at all these cable news outlets, right? Everyone's mm-hmm. like CNN, Fox, da, 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 da. You know has who has more listeners or more viewers almost every single day than news cable news outlets with tons of employees and all these millions of dollars? Down. Phil DeFranco. Mm. He'll do more than a million views on a thing. And you know what? Not that many people actually watch cable news. Mm-hmm. And so he's one of the most influential voices about entertainment news, mainstream mm-hmm. news, that kind of thing. People who just follow him. He doesn't hide his biases. He tells you what they are. Mm-hmm. And that builds trust with the audience. And he also delivers it in a fast format, getting people to think about things and go on to the next thing. Or they'll go deeper with something. And, and, and that's where, like, I mean, me and uh, – because it's funny because at the policy conference, Craig Folly was there too, mm-hmm. uh, former host of Detroit Today, NPR. And I – and we even spoke a little bit about the whole concept of free speech. Has this been more of a topic? And I'm one – you know, this may be my hip-hop background. I'm all for it. So and then it's like, nah, but what about hate speech? And I'm like, I have the critical thinking skills where I do believe I can I can. I'm not so triggered, though, I understand certain people can be so triggered from seeing a person that they're not even willing to even entertain anything a person says. I understand that. I'm not in that boat. I'm in the boat of I want it. Please give it to me. Uh, Please deliver that to me because I want to hear the perspective because suppressed thought process, if anything, I think brings out more of the challenges in our society because these people still feel and think the way they think. They're just suppressing it. And that, to me, becomes more dangerous. It's like one of my friends says, you know, I'd rather just know you're an asshole. True indeed. Right? Because it's it's something where when everybody – puts it all underneath the lid and they're obviously when it comes to some professional situations and you have to do certain things right yeah depending upon what you're representing and what you're doing right but when you're working with something where you know you're interviewing some someone or something like that people can tell when the limiters on it Mm -hmm. when people are not sharing their full selves or they're even if a story is about a specific thing or they're like hedging on their answers Mm -hmm. you know when people don't lean in all the way and i think that it's important to have people share these things out there. Now, freedom of speech does not mean freedom from consequences. And that's also what I say, too. It's like one of those things where if you say something, if you say some shit, it's going to cause a lot of people not to like you. It's going to cause a lot of backlash. It's going to cause many consequences. But 
at least we know where you stand. And knowing where you stand, it can be so beautiful uh, for me. But I also like, you know, I'm, I'm willing to entertain for others like it can be you know, difficult for them to even know that. So, like, it's almost like, you know, like a, a realm of reality. Like, what I'm watching on Twitter is they say, like, oh, one day after all the bans, you know, you the N-word went up in usage 700,000, you know, percent. And it's like, yeah, possibly. But, you know, if if some bigot wants to use the term, I'd rather know the bigot is using the term than for the bigot to use African-American all the time. <laughs> you know, like... It's, for me, like it, no, I, I, it's it's like wouldn't wouldn't that be better than than sitting around and wondering like okay is it is it not maybe maybe so you know like it, it's one of those things where you know this is the reality because that was the same user or even when it comes to something that is not as offensive but still is very problematic yeah sometimes also it's incumbent to say to hear those things so that they can be checked and what i mean by checked is uh, my my fellow white people should never be asking like you like mm -hmm. what did i do wrong it's on us to check yeah and be like hey you know you might want to consider like you're, mm -hmm. you you need to reconsider that like you need to understand that i think there is this this burden that's placed on everybody like well yeah, what what did I do wrong? Well, but, that's not on you to answer, right? Go do some like go do some work. And, and I'm the black guy that sometimes will have that discussion because I'm willing to to lean into a discussion that somebody else wouldn't want to have. You know, because if it wasn't for women, are, but yeah, and I don't expect everybody to be. Well, that's the thing, right? It's wonderful mm -hmm. you are yeah. if that's what you want to do, mm -hmm. but that should not be the expectation no, not, because yeah. that is that is unfair labor. I agree. But it, it but if it if it weren't for someone to at least open up some of those doors, because I know I've learned so much more about the LGBTQIA experience, about the women experience, about even in aging in that experience, like just from having conversations with people. So many things in culture and religion, you know, like if it wasn't for me sitting and talking for hours about, you know, with somebody that grew up in you know, from Catholic church to, to Catholic school to religion and understanding the system of the parish system, then I would just only have a media understanding of what this meant and what that priest represents, what the Pope means. And that perspective is definitely not going to be any perspective that would be, you know, right now it would be nothing but negative. But in understanding and then even also understanding the ties of the way that that banner, like when people say like, you know, the sun never set on uh Great Britain, the sun never really set on the Catholic Church. You know what I'm saying? And 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 the way that uh, it influenced and has systems that run across the or, world, or even time times in history when it was pseudo government or government. Exactly. Right? That's the other thing to realize yeah. is that there are large parts of history where that was government. Mm -hmm. Now we've learned a lot. We hopefully have moved in a way where we understand more and can be more accepting. You know, one of the hardest challenges is when you run into people who have such held beliefs that they have to make sure that you believe it too. And that's where we can get into real problems. That, that right there is definitely like one of the you things that you live that, how you want to live, but don't affect me. And that was definitely one of the biggest things of, of, of uh, many of the Judeo Christian religions. It's, it's that demonstrative attitude of everything else is of, of evil in any other way of this is wrong. And I hate you because of it. That 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 dogmatic way of thinking, 
um, connected to so much violence, ha- violence has brought about so many atrocities. Right, and and there's dogmatic thinking that there, and in multiple religions and things. Oh, where, most definitely. Where, where you're sitting there and you're just like, you don't even know somebody like that. Like you've never met someone. Yeah. Like that. Like how can you? How can you already pass that judgment? Mm-hmm. And it, it and that's the thing that for me is 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 sometimes difficult. But I also understand that we all have to share. Like I can't like, despite whatever is on social media. Like you can't. Like we all have to live together. Mm-hmm. Like in some proximity, one way or another, we're all here. So we need to somehow figure out a way to forward, or else this is just going to continue to be a shit show. Yeah, most definitely. So with that being said, classic Detroit is different. As we close out, uh, your very first car, year making model. What year you get it? My first car I ever had. Mm-hmm. Plymouth Acclaim. I called it the corpse because it died every Thursday. Hilarious. It was it was like the the fancy K car. <laughs> Bought it for very little. It was it was, but you know what? It was it was it was mine, and I I I appreciate it. Okay, where was the first place you went when you got it? Oh geez, uh, I went for pizza. There we go. I was like, I'm getting pizza when I want to get pizza. Okay, ain't that something? Ain't that something? Hopefully, a good slice, good Detroit style slice. <laughs> I'm glad that that. I'm glad the Detroit style pizza is taking a, a America, the world by storm now. Um, and you're the DJ at the end of the fireworks, Woodward and Jefferson. You get to play a song. What song are you playing? Oh, geez. Um, I'm going to say, I'm going to go with uh, Marvin Gaye, Tammy Terrell. Hmm. Uh, Ain't No Mountain High Enough. Okay, I like it. You're going to have the people dancing and like swaying a little bit. Last one. You can rename Woodward after one Detroiter. Who would it be Ooh. and why? Ooh, this is tough. This is tough. Hayes and Pingree. Hmm. Okay. Potato patch pingree. Okay. That's the same thing Devin said. So so <laughs> why why do you say why do you pick them? Um it was the beginning of an idea that a politician is for the people. Mm. The idea that of not only self-sustaining but we're also going to help you, you know. There's this this thing that I often hear like pull yourself up by the bootstraps. I kind of get it, but one of the challenges is that we need to be a community that provides boots and straps. You got that right. And that's the thing is like planting your potato garden, doing these kind of things, fighting for, you know, streetcars. They were arguing about transit 120 years ago. Mm-hmm. We're still talking about it today. Mm. But it's it's that step forward of saying, OK, we are going to be we are going to be the city of the future. And I think that if we play our cards right, we can we'll be the city of the future again. Let's do it. Thank you so much. Black revolutionaries, distillery owners, Italian fashion retailers, and Motown Grammy winners all share their best stories never before told in any other media outlets on Detroit is Different. Visit DetroitIsDifferent.com or download the Detroit is Different app on Apple's App Store or Google's Play Store.